I got a bike for my 13th birthday. I'm riding my bike, I had it three weeks, two kids see me, they kicked me over while I was moving. And one of them says, let's kill him. And the other one says, we don't have time, there's people. And they left me laying on the concrete and took my bike. That was my childhood. And, and that was not an unusual day for me. And it made me think no one should have to live like this. As I became more involved with metaphysics and yoga, I realized I had a gift and maybe I could help other people have a better life to make a difference. You can either get very angry and become one of those violent people and lash out, or you can say there's enough, it's enough. The cycle has to end and it's gonna end through increasing people's intelligence and understanding. You learn the wisdom of love and the love of wisdom. And that is really my mission. Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selig, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome Seven Hatters. In this episode, we speak with Howard Berg and dive deep into hat numbers one and four, the soul and the entrepreneur, as we discuss the strategies and principles for developing a total learning solution in business and life. If you want to maximize your ability to learn faster, comprehend better, and retain more in this information-rich world, then you want to listen to Howard. Who better to get learning advice from the fastest human speed reader known to man? Howard read over 35,000 books, but more importantly, he is an incredible human being and one that is overflowing with inspiration and whose sole mission is to help people succeed by learning how to learn and applying those principles into our daily lives. So pay special attention to this episode because if you blink, you'll miss out on some worldly and some would say channeled knowledge from this incredible and kind human being. So with a warm heart, let's welcome Howard to the Seven Hats. Howard, welcome to the Seven Hats. Well, thank you for having me. Of course. You know, Howard, like others, I am fascinated by your knowledge. That's for sure. But I am even more fascinated by the emotional underpinnings of people and their unique gifts. What I'm really curious about is your young life before all the success. You know, you had a pretty rough start and I want to know more about how that shaped you. So tell the seven hatters, who was Howard before he was the fastest reader in the world? Where were you born? How was your childhood like? Well, my first day I was swimming. It was a very long swim, and I found an egg. That, now, that is that's a fantastic... very beginning. You went to the very beginning. I don't really remember it well, but I'll be honest with you. My memory of that swim is very vague. Well, then you can't tell us how you felt during that swim. It was a invigorating swim. It was a very crowded swim, though. Well, whoever swam got to the egg, and here you here are I today. Am, so, right? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you my early childhood, because I didn't really discuss that much, My my, I was adopted when I was seven. My biological dad was with Patton, and he went through North Africa and Italy and the Battle of the Bulge, and he ended up with PTSD. 
Back then, they didn't call it that. They called it crazy. <laughs> they didn't have a tech. That was the technical term. So they told my mom to get divorced. He wouldn't get better, which he did. But uh, so I remember the day he left, he said goodbye. And I watched him walking away. And it was pretty traumatic, I got to be honest. And then we moved because uh, without a father, it was very hard for my mother at that time to make a living. So we moved in a building with my grandfather. And I was across the street from the Brooklyn Children's Science Museum. It was a different time. I was six, and I crossed the street every Saturday and spend the whole day at the museum touring people. Today, you'd be out of here. First of all, if you went there on your own, your parents would go to prison. But back then, it was no, you'd come home when it's dinner time. That was the pretty much how it worked. So I was in the museum. I go to total strangers. I said, would you like me to show you around the museum? Uh, even then, I liked to talk. So I gave them a tour of the, the, the Da Vinci collection and all the science. And uh, I would show them all the different things. There was an astronomy uh, planetarium. And they only had about 20 shows. So after two years, I knew every show by heart and helped do it. I uh, remember they had a tic-tac-toe computer and it was unbeatable. And I managed to beat it wow. one time and, 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 I, and it rang, it got broken and I ran away because I was afraid to get angry at me because the machine didn't want to be beaten. And I beat it. I was about seven. So that's how I really started. Then after that, my mom remarried. And I was adopted by my dad, who was really very good to me. And we moved to the projects in Brooklyn, which wasn't the greatest place to grow up. It was lots of gangs. It was like West Side Story without the dancing and the music. And I met Bernardo. He had a knife and he wasn't smiling. Uh, so uh, I found one safe place, the library. Nobody in a gang would ever go there, ever, for any reason whatsoever. And I read a lot, so I had college reading when I was 11. Now, when I was eight, I was studying uh, the theory of relativity. I got interested in comparative religion. I studied Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Nordic mythology, all the different myths and all the different cultures that I saw the, the relationships between them. Uh, basically, God's an old guy with a beard. Whether you call him Jehovah or Jupiter or Zeus or Odin, they all were old guys with beards. And you just kind of saw like patterns emerging in that, that I think Joseph Campbell described much more accurately, but I was seven years old, eight years old, so I wasn't quite at that level of, of acumen yet. And um, then by the time I was 11, I, I tested out at college level reading. I went to the State University of New York, Binghamton, when I was 17, and I majored in biology. And in my, I was interested in what makes something alive. That, that was like a question, like, what, what makes a living thing alive? That seemed very interesting to me. So I got into that. And then in my second half of my junior year, I was interested in learning and how the brain works. Actually, it was a branch of biology called ethology, which is the biology of behavior. So I went to the dean and I said, I want to do a psych and bio major, be a psychobiologist, not a psychotic biologist, <laughs> that's Frankenstein. A psychobiologist is biology behavior. So he said, Howard, you're second term junior, you haven't had one psych course. You have to do the whole program in one year. You have to take six science courses each term to do bio and psych. You have to take two four hour labs. Lab reports were on slide rules, there was no computer. So you basically took 16 hours to do the standard deviation correlations on the slide rule. So it was 40 hours of lab with the lab reports and 18 credits of science, 
six science courses, and I had three jobs. I was working 18 hours a week. Also at that time, interestingly, I got interested in spiritual awareness. I started meditating and doing yoga. And uh, so I was doing a lot of things, not just uh, things that dealt with science. Well, anyway, I did the four-year psych program in one year. I took the GRE in biology, and I read 48 books in three nights. I reread. I didn't read them for the first time. Uh, genetics, biochemistry, cell physiology, plant systematics, vertebrate zoology. I got three questions wrong. So I was in the 99th percentile. I got an 800. And then I taught in New York for uh, 10 years in the inner city. And I started studying metaphysics. Uh, I studied the I Ching with Kai D. He was the original woe fat on Hawaii Five O. Wow. He was a Taoist priest. And I learned that. And I studied the fourth way, which is the Ospensky techniques and Gurdjieff. Uh, I studied symbols. I was interested in how the brain interprets symbols, like Carl Jung. So I studied astrology. I became uh, trained by a, a Druid high priestess in tarot, Kabbalah, Golden Dawn, all things you normally wouldn't do as a science person. But I was just curious about consciousness. You know, what, what could the mind actually accomplish? As a psychologist, I, I was a behaviorist. I, you, if you knew the genetics and you knew the environment, you pretty much could determine behavior. But then I started realizing as I meditated, if you looked at the neurons in a brain of a Michelangelo, could you see the statue of David or the Mona Lisa in the mind of, a, of, of da Vinci? The, there was more than just neurons and neural pathways. There was something greater. The gestalt was bigger than the parts. The consciousness itself was something. And uh, got very interested in that. And I wanted to tr not just learn, but expand my capacity to learn and to I actually made a program on how to be a genius which we could talk about because it came from that and i could teach it it's learnable so then uh i did that for 10 years i was an officer in a construction company for 10 years and then i went out on my own i started my own company when i was 35 i, I had an epiphany i'm doing all this three jobs struggling to make a living. I'm teaching. I'm, I'm working as an aquatics director. I'm, I'm doing bookkeeping for people on the side. And I'm looking at people who weren't as well educated, but they were entrepreneurs. And they were making incredible amounts of money working a fraction of the hours. And I'm like, maybe that's the path we should all be on. You, you, you'd be more successful. I realized that the whole tax thing is set up for people in business. Where everyone pays for bills after they get paid and taxes are taken out. Businesses pay for medical before the taxes come out. Uh, your car could be leased. It's before taxes come out. So the dollar is a dollar and not 65 or 75 cents. And it's designed that way. And so I went into business. Uh, I, I met um, John Ziegler. And he introduced me to Zig Ziegler and I lectured with him and Dan Kennedy. And I, I learned a lot from them about how to do public speaking and selling from the stage. I have a funny story there if you'd like. So John's going to breakfast with a speaker he wants to uh, book. And I said, who is it? He says, Brian Tracy. I said, who's that? Because I'm just starting. He says, 
he he sells stuff, but he's Canadian because he said Zig sells stuff, Dan sells stuff. So I go to have breakfast with Brian Tracy. I don't know who he is, which you know Brian's pretty pretty famous. He couldn't understand. I didn't know who he was. So we go to the workshop, and Dan sells eight hundred programs, and Zig sells eight hundred programs. So John gets into my ear and he says, "Did you see how much stuff they?" Sell? I said, "Yeah." He says, "I need you to do that too." And I'm thinking, "Okay, that's what people do." I get, I don't know. Zig Ziglar or Dan Kennedy. I guess that's what you got to do. They sell 800 things. I sold 400, but I had no experience. I wasn't trained. They was, they were, I didn't realize these were the top. Top of the top. You didn't do that at all. You no. Know. No. I was like, okay, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. So went on. I met uh, Nightingale Conant, uh, and they decided they wanted to do a commercial that made $65 million. It was the top-selling program in its niche. It was very exciting. And then I've been on 2,000 shows. I helped launch Comedy Central with Dennis Leary in the late 80s, early 90s. I was, I was um, John Stewart's first guest on his show. And you don't see too many biologists ask to do comedy. I'll show you why. Uh, a mushroom walks in a bar. The bartender says, get out. We don't serve your kind. And, and the mushroom said, why not? I'm a fun guy. Yep. And that's exactly and why that's, biologists don't do comedy. Don't, so that's kind of it. Then I started teaching kids, 11-year-olds going to college and acing classes in a week on AP tests consistently. Uh, most of the students got scholarships, multiple scholarships. They were going through four-year college in two and a half to three years instead of six, which is the average. There's a 50% dropout rate in four-year schools and 70% in two-year. And these kids are doing it in two and a half. One of my students, um, Brad, did his four-year college in six months. Wow. And uh, became a missionary, learned Chinese in three weeks from what I taught him. Retired at 40, sold his company for 38 million. He's back in a new company now. So I guess that's kind of, and I wrote several best-selling books. Uh, I've been on about 2,000 shows. And I really feel that it's a calling, that the world's in trouble. And if you watch the news, no one's saying there's too many smart people making too many good decisions. And I'm seeing what I'm doing, and I'm thinking it's partly my responsibility to teach people what I know how to do so they can make better choices, make more money at work, the kids get through school and don't drop out, their parents don't turn into vegetables because they keep their brain young. I'm 72. I don't think anyone thinks I'm senile. And um, ultimately, maybe a doctor reads 50 extra books and finds a cure for cancer or any number of other problems we're confronted with because they learn more. Yep. And an 84-year-old reads three books in three hours, Ruth Lubin. Normal person could read a book in an hour, what I teach them, and retain it. So imagine in a year you have 365 new business skills. Yeah. And 10 years, 3,650 new business skills. Where would you be? Well, And that's really what I'm doing. And I feel that it's synergistic. It doesn't just help you, but as you get better and other people get better and people who make important decisions get better, maybe we could get some better decisions at the top and society can move in a better direction. And the one I see now is pretty tragic. We're, we're kind of crashing into a wall. And I feel that's why I can do something. I can't do it myself, but I could be a catalyst by empowering people with their own natural gifts to reach their 
the opinion, whatever that is. And that's my calling and that's what I'm doing and that's where I'm coming from. Howard, I love your life's mission. I really do. And if you don't mind, let me just step back because that was a great overview of, of your life's activities and progress and things that you've done. You know, you're an overachiever. You were learning the theory of relativity at, you know, seven or eight years old. Can I tell you a funny story about that? So I had a lot of like side theories based on what I read and I thought they were pretty good. But, you know, I lived in the projects in Brooklyn. It wasn't like too many neuro uh, astrophysicists lived there. So years later, I was in Huntsville, which is where Star Wars was mm-hmm. and Missile Command. And I got to meet the people in Star Wars, uh, some of the head people. And I said, you know, when I was eight years old, I had these theories, and I never had a chance to really ask anyone if there was any merit to them. So I told them my five theories. They looked at me and they said, your five theories have all won Nobel Prizes. <laughs> but of course, you have to prove it. You're having a good idea. I, I think I can cure cancer. Well, that's great. How? Um, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure. I, you know, you actually have to come up with the cure. So, the, I, I mean, I was too young to be able to go in a lab and prove anything, but it made me feel good. You know, if you're eight years old and you came up with the concept that was the basis for a Nobel Prize many years later, I, I still felt it was an accomplishment, even though I didn't get the award. That's incredible. Why do you think you were such an overachiever? There has to be something at a young age that prompted you to really focus on activities that most young kids or even older adults don't even try to achieve. So what do you think? And, and it had to probably form within the family structure. So, or maybe yeah, being yeah, picked yeah. on as a kid, as, as a young kid, but Both. what, what was yeah. that? Tell me a little bit about that, that situation. Cause I think it's going to be important. Well, my biological dad was a chemical genius. He graduated at the top of his class and, and, and he did experiments with me as a child. We made barometers in my living room. And he took me to the library. I was reading books at three and encouraged it. And, and then I, met, I lived across the street from the museum. It had a library. I used to read all the time. Uh, and, and, and I had a passion for, I had a curiosity. I remember when I was six, I, I went to the science museum. I said, I think I discovered something. The moon doesn't stay the same. At different times of the month, the moon is changing. And has anyone ever noticed that before? <laughs> you know, it doesn't. So they showed me a model of the solar system and the moon going around. I said, oh, now I guess they had an answer for that. But I was very young. But I, I discovered the phases of the moon when I was like four or five. And I was fascinated by it. And I thought I had made a major a major insight, you know, because I was a child. I had, nobody ever talked to me about that. But so I was always like that. I was different. I was, uh, other kids watch ball games. My idols were Da Vinci, Newton, Galileo, Einstein. Uh, actually, Benjamin Franklin was one of my, he's an amazing man. If you study his background, he was not a normal, he was up there with them, believe it or not. Really amazing man. And those are the people I modeled myself after. I, I had no idea what team was playing, what game. It's like, who cares who throws a ball yeah. or hits a ball? I said, there's so much more significance to life than hitting or throwing or catching a ball. Why is everyone so entrenched by this? It's banal. Look, look at the meaning of life. Uh, 
time is meaningless at the speed of light. There is no time. I says, that's impressive. That's amazing. Think about that. Time stops. There's no past. There's no future. There's just an eternal now. That's the things that interested me as a child, very young, seven, eight years old. And I didn't fit in because other people might. I, I was mentally about 30 at seven, wow. but I was emotionally underdeveloped because I did get beat up a lot. So I didn't, I didn't, it didn't encourage me to hang out with people because it meant getting beat up. So a lot of the social skills you would have picked up from interacting, I didn't get them until I was much older because it was dangerous. It wasn't imagining people were out to get me. They were, you know, because they were doing things, not just to me. My dad was pistol whip. Uh, we moved when they raped an 88-year-old man. So it wasn't like I was the target. I was just in a high-crime environment. Everyone was a target who wasn't in a gang. And uh, maybe 100 times I was mugged. I had knives to my throat. I was beaten with bats. Uh, I, I was robbed many times. I remember I got a bike for my 13th birthday, and if I got a job delivering for the drugstore. Back then, used to deliver it to the, to the patient. Well, I'm riding my bike. I had it three weeks. Two kids see me. They kicked me over while I was moving, and one of them says, let's kill him, and the other one says, we don't have time. There's people, and they left me laying on the concrete and took my bike. I had it for three weeks. That was my childhood, and, and that was not an unusual day for me. I would say many days at that level, and it made me think no one should have to live like this. And as I became more involved with metaphysics and yoga, I realized I had a gift, and maybe I could help other people have a better life uh, to make a difference. To, you can either get very angry and become one of those violent people and lash out, well, you could say there's enough. It's enough. The cycle has to end, and it's going to end through increasing people's intelligence and understanding. You learn the wisdom of love and the love of wisdom, and that is really my mission. And that's and that was very young, very young, because of the suffering and pain I had. I decided I was going to spend my life trying to fix that in other people. Because so I went through a very dark place as a result of it, as you can. You know, you, you get beaten enough times, it doesn't leave you in a happy mood. Of course. And I, I was fortunate because of the metaphysics and the meditation, I learned how to reprogram my thinking and my attitudes and eliminated a lot of the dark that was put on me by the environment I was in. And I realized I could teach that because there are other people in that same. In fact, if you'd like, I could show you how to do it. Yeah, of course. Let's do it. Most people, when they try to deal with a negative state, depression, anxiety, I'm not going to be depressed or I'm not going to be anxious. Let me show you where that doesn't work. I'm going to control your mind and everyone listening, and they won't have a choice. Don't think of Mickey Mouse eating pizza. What happened? They don't. When you say don't or not, the unconscious deletes negatives. It only knows how to build. It doesn't know how to deconstruct. So when you say I won't be depressed, it, it's pouring gasoline on the fire. It makes it more powerful. Depression doesn't exist, nor does anxiety. It's not in the sky. It's not in the air. It's in between your ears. It's your, it's your thinking and how you're processing your experience of life that's creating the experience of anxiety or depression. 
Well, if your brain can create that, it can uncreate that. And the way you uncreate it is you don't focus on what you don't want. You focus on what you do want, how calm you are, how happy you are, how successful you are, even though you're not. So as you're building this new thought, this new self-image, this new identity, over time, it's not like two seconds after you do it, everything gets better. Because the unconscious is what's causing these emotions, it only exists when you focus on it. If you're focusing on the positive, it, it's like a weed. It atrophies because it has no life force of its own. It only lives if you give it life. <clears throat> you're giving life to the state of peace and tranquility and success and joy. And the more you focus on that state you want to create instead of the state you want to run away from, it goes away by itself over time. Because it never existed to begin with. It only existed because you were thinking about it. When you stop thinking about it, it never existed. Wow. It's just a thought. And you created a different thought. And you get to pick. You can create, continue creating thoughts that make you miserable. Or you can create thoughts that will take you to where you want to be in life. And that's something I teach. And that's part of what I'm doing. That's, that's inspiring. Um, I live by that uh, as well. You know, it's really interesting. I, by no means was I bullied as you were as a kid, but even still, it's amazing when you are bullied, some people just form this need to want to help others, to want to overachieve because of that period. And I think, I think that's where genius comes from. I think that's where people like Elon Musk and, and, and others who I believe probably had rough childhoods got to this stage of where they are absolutely determined to prove everybody that they can be heroes, right? That's, I think that's, I think that's, that's what I see from, from a lot of um, overachievers. Well, what genius also is is seeing what everyone else sees differently. So everyone saw a cell phone look like Captain Kirk's communicator. <laughs> and then Steve Jobs said, I could put a, a monitor on it and throw a chip in it, make a little computer and make a phone on it, but it's also going to run programs. It did pretty well. Then he says, you know, I can make it bigger. I'll make it the size of a sheet of paper and call it an iPad. That's genius. He, he didn't just see what was there. He saw what there could have been instead, much bigger. Yeah. And, and that's a much, much more important thing to do. So um, I, I see things differently than most people see them. If you, okay, can I give an example? Yeah, of course. Okay, so let me solve the deficit problem, the going green problem, and at the same time, make lots of money for oil, gas, and coal companies, and put hundreds of thousands of people to work in 90 seconds. Go ahead. Okay. How do you make electricity? You basically spin a coil of wire and a magnet or a coil of wire, a magnet around a coil of wire. How do you spin it? Well, if you're lucky to have the Niagara Falls nearby, you can do that. But most places don't. So they make steam. That's where the oil, gas, and coal and nu nuclear energy come in. So that's a problem because they're destroying the planet in the process. In Iceland, it's a, it's a volcano. And there's lots of water. And because the magma is close to the surface, most of the electricity is made by heating water through magma. So there's no greenhouse gases. They're using the Earth's interior heat to do the boiling. 
which is great because it's a volcano. And you might say, well, America isn't a volcano, except Yellowstone Park is one of the largest super calderas in the world. And there's also a big one in California and another one under the uh, mountains in Vermont. So imagine now the oil, gas, and coal companies put up the money to build geothermal plants in Yellowstone. Lots of heat, lots of water. It's got to be easier than finding a new oil field. The people that get thrown out of their jobs do the retraining to build the infrastructure and the plants and maintenance. And it's on federal land. So they charge a usage fee for using federal land and target the money to paying off the national debt. So now you've got 100% green energy. You've got hundreds of thousands of jobs. The people who are worried about losing their incomes, like oil, gas, and coal companies, see it as a new form of income. Mm-hmm. They're moving in a new direction. And the, co- and the country gets tons of money from all that electricity to pay off the debt. That's how my mind works. Wow. Howard for president, maybe? No thing. I, I don't. I, I've watched enough to say anyone who wants their job is a little crazy. That is that uh, is very true. That is very true. I it's a, not. It's not for me. No. <laughs> so so let's get let's get to let's get to some some meat about learning because that's that's really kind of where your passion is. At you know at a young age when you're in the library, you know these you you kids have brains of mush, right? It's easily molded. But someone like my uh, my co-founder who is really 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 old. Sorry, co-founder. I'm just joking with him. He's not, uh, but I, but I, but I joke. And uh, so he's he's older. Does someone like that have a chance uh, in the same capacity to learn, to mold, to remember as a young kid? I had an 84 year old Ruth Lubin, Miss Senior California, little old lady from Pasadena. Literally, I trained her at Pasadena Community College, and she read three books in three hours the day after I taught her. Uh, my oldest student was in Denver, and she was 92, and she was 100% faster in four hours. So it's not an age problem. You could do it at any age. My youngest student was in third grade, wow. and they were reading at five seconds a page when they were eight years old. Wow. You're a man of many, many stories. So you're also known, Guinness Book, uh, World Book of Records, as the fastest reading man on earth. And reading fast is really nice. You can impress a lot of people. But entrepreneurs are busy and they don't have a lot of time to read. What they really want to understand is the secret to learning. So is there a way you can give us a crash course on two or three skills where the individual can read faster, comprehend better, and remember, which is really the most important, everything that they've just done? If you can do that and teach the seven hatters, I think that would be awesome. We'll do that. Actually, the most important is understanding. Mm. Because if you remember and you didn't know what you remembered, it's still not going to help. But you read a calculus book, you memorize the equations, you remember them, and you fail because you don't know how to solve a problem. Wow. You, you just have the data, but you have no concept of how to apply it in the real world. So I'm going to contradict you on that one point. Your memory is important. I'm not going to take that away. But more important is understanding and insight. Yep. Okay. We'll cover that too if you want afterwards. We'll start with step one, reading faster. So when this interview is over, pick a book you've read, preferably nonfiction, time yourself for a minute, and read normal. Do nothing special. See how far you get. Take a pen or a pencil, mark off where you finish. That's a measurement, an assessment of how fast you read. 
Now go to the second chapter, and here's the magic. Take your hand and go across one line at a time, eyes following your hand as fast as you could comprehend. So as long as you know what you're reading, go quicker and quicker and quicker till you don't. Since you already know the book, the only thing that could confuse you now is how fast you're reading. Yep. If you don't know what you're reading, you went too fast. Slow down just enough so the comprehension's there. And for five minutes, as fast as you could comprehend, not faster, not slower, one line at a time, eye following your hand continuously. Now, go back to the first chapter where you tested yourself. Time yourself for a minute using your hand as fast as you could comprehend, and you'll go 20 to 40% further than you did in the first minute where the little mark was that you put in. That's step one. Okay. But you're completely right. Nobody wants to read faster. I don't even like to read. I love to learn. Reading was never the goal. To me, reading is a screwdriver. You don't get excited over a hammer, saw, or screwdriver. What you build, that's different. Yep. To me, reading is a true comprehension. About 20, 25 years ago, when MSNBC first launched, I was interviewed by Dick Cavett. He was a very famous talk show host in the uh, 70s, 80s. And Dick and I got to be friends. We were chatting after the interview, and he told me a funny story. He said he was interviewing Woody Allen, and Woody told him he read War and Peace in five minutes. He took Evelyn Woods. He says, that's incredible, Woody. What do you remember? He said, it's about the Russian Revolution. That's all I remember. <laughs> that was speed reading. You knew it was a biology book. But you didn't know any biology. You knew it was a math book. You didn't learn any math. You would use your hands like I demonstrated. And if you slowed down to learn a new idea or a word or a name, you lost your speed. It was conditioned. I changed it. I fixed it. The gentleman who owned Evelyn Woods was Maurice Thompson Jr. And he had me train his son, my system. I said, you've gone past speed reading and speed learning, bringing into the 21st century. Let me show you. I took graduate courses in how to teach reading, plus psychobiology. So one of the key elements, how does your brain read? How does it look at a book and make any sense out of the text? One of the key elements is called schema. So I'll read something with no schema and watch how confusing it is. Then I'll read it a second time with a title with schema, and instantly it'll make sense. So you can see how schema works. This is the schemaless, confusing text. This is an easy thing to do. If possible, you could do it at home, but you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake and may cost you quite a bit of money. You have no idea what I'm talking about. There's no schema. I'll read it again. One word, the title has schema, and instantly it all makes sense. Laundry, this is an easy thing to do. If possible, you could do it at home, but you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake. It may cost you quite a bit of money. Now you know it's about doing laundry. Yep. So I'm training people where these clues are. So they're going two, three, four times faster. We did a double-blind efficacy study with the Nelson Denny, and everyone doubled or quadrupled with excellent comprehension following what I'm teaching. So you could read. Technical books, law, medicine, chemistry. And if you could do that, you could read Harry Potter or any novel or newspaper much more readily as well, because that's the highest level of learning. And so that's what I'm teaching, how to comprehend using the psychology of what your brain does to turn the symbols called letters into meaning that your brain can interpret and utilize, which no one did before. It was all mechanical. The third thing. Before you get to the third thing, quick question about schema. 
So if I'm reading a brand new book on biology and I don't know the schema, how do I get the schema before reading the book so I can understand what I'm reading? Different area. I could could go on a sidetrack for that. There's five things you need to learn. The new words, 80, 85% of a new, like biology, Julius Venetius, Turgus Migatorius, Quercus Quercus. They mean a lot to a biologist, but most people say, what the hell is he saying? You have to learn those. That's part of being in biology. It's the, it's the Latin terms for birds and plants and a lot of other things. So vocabulary. Second thing, names. Who's in the book and what did they do? Third thing, numbers, dates, statistics, and form. What are they? How do you use them? Fourth thing, in every section and subsection, there are headings and headers and textbooks. What are the five big takeaways in each section? Lastly, questions and answers. Here's a little thing that'll help. In many textbooks, questions are at the end. So if you know they're at the end, read them first. You don't want to read 60 pages and not know any answers to questions. If you know what the questions are before you start, you know what you're looking for and you'll know when you found them. It'll save you, cut the time in half. Now, here's how you actually learn them. Set up a three-column table in Word. The first column is what people normally would use. So I put the word in column one and the definition in column two, the name in column one, who they are in column two, the number day statistical formula in one, why it's significant and how you use it if it's a formula in two, a key word or term like say the nine characteristics of a living system, and then what are the nine characteristics in column two? The question and the answer. That's how you learn them. Now, another thing you can do with the system is take your learning up three times higher than it was before. When most people take notes, they write what they're learning. They're missing two-thirds of the information. Here's the other two-thirds. In the second column, what did the writer or the speaker do that made it interesting? Did they tell a joke? Did they tell a story? Did they show a picture? Whatever they did, you went, wow, that's amazing. You could do that to make people say, wow, you're amazing. You just learned a strategy to make your writing um, pop off the page, to make your presentations get wows, because you just had a wow experience. Why? Write it down. Whatever made that happen, That's invaluable information. You can use that for your own efficacy later. The third column, how will I use what I just learned? Mm. So let's say I'm at a Dan Kennedy seminar, and I just learned a new marketing technique, and I can double my my salary. I can double my, my sales using that technique. In the third column, I write down specifically what I'll do when I get home with that technique to make my sales double. Now when I go home, I don't just look at what I learned, I look at what I was going to do. And every day I do one to five of those things, and that's where you learn. When I start doubling my income from a strategy I learned, I don't have to study that. It just doubled my income. Do you think I'm going to forget something that increases my income by 50 to 100%? Do I have to study it? No. That's what people are missing. So what you're learning, what made it interesting, how will you use it? And that's a much better way to take notes, to learn the background in a subject you know nothing about. Did that help? That does. So we now know schema. What about memorization? I'm going to give you 10. There's a lot of ways to do it. There's no one way. 
Learning a language isn't learning a math book. Learning a math book isn't reading the newspaper. But I'm going to give you a system. Okay. So I'm going to give you 10 things to remember. I won't show you how, then I will. And you'll remember everything effortlessly, backwards and forwards. And when you're done, I'm going to tell you this is not just a system. This is a tool you will use for the rest of your life. Yep. Because you're going to want to remember it. You only remember 10% of what you read, but 90% of what you say and do. I'm going to ask you and our audience to say and do, not just listen, to lock it in. And then you'll be able to use it forever. Are you ready? Ready. Here are 10 things to remember. Don't write them down. You're going you're gonna to learn them. Okay. You want to remember pole, shoes, tricycle, car, glove, gun, dice, skate, cat, and bowling pins. Yep. I'm willing to bet you don't know all 10 backwards and forwards effortlessly right now. I actually do, but that's because I've, I've looked See at it. it three days ago. Okay. okay. <laughs> yes. I understand. It's good. you know. So now I'm going to show you how it works. Uh, the Greeks discovered thousands of years ago, if you take a list you know, like the numbers from 1 to 10, it's in your brain, they're hanging in your memory, you hang the new things on it. So we're going to do it together. The number one looks like a pole. So when I say one, say pole. One. Pole. Two is shoes, because you wear two shoes. What's two? Shoes. One. Pole. Three is a tricycle. Three wheels on a tricycle. What's three? Tricycle. What's two? Shoes. What's one? Pole. Four is a car. How many tires are a car? Four. Four is a? Car. Two is? Shoe. One is? Pole. Three is? Tricycle. Getting smarter. Five is a glove. Five fingers in a glove. What's five? Glove. Three. Tricycle. One. Pole. Excellent. Six gun. They had... They loved them in Texas. Six guns. What's six? Gun. Four. Car. Two. Shoes. Seven's lucky in dice. Seven dice. Seven. Dice. Five. Glove. Three. Tricycle. One. Paul. Rhymes work. Say eight skate. Eight skate. What's eight? Skate. Six. What did they love in Texas? Gun. Four. Car. Two. Shoes. Nine is a cat. Has nine lives. Nine. Cat. Seven's lucky in? Dice. Five. Glove. Three. Tricycle. One. Pole. And ten bowling pins in a lane. Ten bowling, bowling pins. pins. What's one? Pole. Two. Shoes. Three. Tricycle. Four. Car. Five. Glove. Six. Gun. Texas. Seven's lucky Dice. in? Dice. Eight rhymes with? Nine Cat. is a? Ten is? Pins. Excellent. Here's how you use it. It's for speed learning numbers. So if you're in a hotel and you're in room 314, you turn the numbers to pictures, which are easier. Tricycle, pole, car. Make a movie. A tricycle hits a pole on a car. Tricycle, what number? Three. It's a pole. One. On a car. Four. That's your hotel room. Tricycle, pole, car. It's also pi in yep. geometry for kids in school. So I use it in math, science, and history for dates. But you can use it in business for due dates, percentages, room numbers. And the zero is the 10 bowling pins because the alphabet for numbers is zero to nine. And you have a number for one through nine. 10 is the zero. And that's your 10 bowling pins. So now you're not a speed learn numbers. Well, I can tell you that it works because about two or three days ago, I've listened to that uh, video and I remembered it without practicing it. So it's really good. But it's interesting. I've seen you interview with uh, Kevin Trudeau for one of the one of the products that, that he was promoting. Not a great person, by the way. Just I, so you, know. you know, it's funny because I remember 
my college He's in years, prison. He just got out of prison. He, he did. That's right. And, and, you know, I thought he was God when I first heard of him. Back ripped in, me off for $7 million, but that's another story. Anyway. I, I don't doubt it. You know, what's really funny? Because he was selling everything and it was just really, it was pretty sad, you know, later on in his years. But he sold a, a course called Mega Memory, which has pegs and it actually did the whole visual association. How does Mega Memory and where did he come? Do, do you know anything about that? Was that something he took? I don't, he, he didn't make it. I know where he got it from. I won't, let's just, let's just say I know where it came from. Got it. it so him. it wasn't him. He was promoting it. He's one of those oil snake men that sells. I, I learned this stuff from studying the brain and learning and reading a lot, a lot of books. But, um, you know, he's brilliant. I'm going to tell you, he's one of the smartest people I've ever met. He's one of the best salesmen I ever met. His ethics are very questionable, yeah. and uh, it makes me sad because it's like, you know, great talent. Remember the Spider-Man, great power comes great responsibility. That is true. Not everybody handles responsibility like that. And well. that's sad but because I think it he could have helped a lot of people. He's very, very gifted. He's a brilliant marketer. He, he's very personable, but... Um, there's things about him that you wouldn't like. <laughs> well, you can look for all you listeners. You can look him up. Uh, he's in the news. I've, I've, I read about him and, and it was just a sad story. So it's a very sad story. And I was one of the victims. So I know. So. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry for that, but you know, yeah. um, it is what it is and you learn what you learn from it. Right. So you can't change it. All you could do is move on to your next project. If you're going to spend your life worrying about what, what, you learn from that, yep. but you can't live in that. That's one of the problems with business people. You you got to learn part of business is problems. And some of them are really suck. That they're, they're horrible. They're gut-wrenching. Things don't always go the way you want. And that's what business is about. Yeah. The people who can deal with problems. And here's a secret how to do it. I can teach you that. Go ahead. Okay. Well, most people are having a problem. What is this happening to me? This sucks. It isn't fear. I, I, I deserve better than that. That's the wrong question. The question you should ask yourself, what's the next best thing I can do now? Not why is it happening to you? What do you do about it? Yep. What's your next step? If you're focusing on what action you can take, your brain will find a way to extricate you and move you where you need to be. If you're focusing on why is this happening, it can do that too. And you'll just sink deeper into the quagmire of fear and despair and upset, and nothing will fix itself. We have control. It's called ego. We have to learn that things happen in this world that aren't always good. Look, look at the world we're in. It isn't always good. The only thing you can control is what's in here. What You want to be a hammer or a nail. The nail is reacting to all the stimuli around it. I'm not saying ignore what's going on. I'm saying don't react to it. Don't let it tear you up and take your focus away from what you need to be doing about it. Things will go wrong. I remember when I started in business, it upset me. I had like a schedule every day. This is the 10 things the, and nothing got done. The phone would ring and somebody would have something they needed me to do immediately. At the end of the day, I got a lot done, but nothing that I originally attended. And I got really upset. And then I realized that was the job. The job of business is dealing with what happens each day. Ideally, you get some of those things done. You delegate whatever you can to other people to get more things done. Don't try to do it all yourself. It doesn't work. But things happen. 
And when they happen, instead of saying, crap, why is it happening? Deal with it. That's the job. That's what successful business people do. They learn how to deal with adversity and turn the, uh, the, the challenges into opportunities instead of sinking deeper in a hole. And the people who learn to do that become successful. And the ones who don't, their businesses ultimately will fail. It's funny because you, I've been an entrepreneur now for about 25 years, and I've studied some of the greatest spiritual teachers uh, that man has produced. And I can tell the entrepreneurs right now, if you just follow what Howard said, literally just that section, no matter what else you get from this podcast episode, you are going to change your entire life. And so when you say EQ, just for those that maybe don't know what that means, is that emotional intelligence? It's the single most important thing. I don't care how well educated you are. If you've got good people skills, people like you, they love you, they know you, they trust you you're probably going to do very well in life because you're going to be liked by people versus there's some brilliant people that are obnoxious. They're arrogant. They're they're hard to be around. Sometimes you can't deal without them. They're just too smart. But people avoid them as much as they can. You don't want to be that person. No. Uh, Develop empathy. I think one of the things that helps is The reason you and I and our audience is here is because someone's growing food right now on a farm. Someone's making our clothes. Someone made my glasses. Someone's making electricity. All the things we need, other people are doing so we could be here. If there wasn't someone doing all these things, the checkout clerk in the grocery store, every single person, whatever it is they're doing, gives you the ability to do something you want to do instead. Without them, you'd be doing it yourself. And none of us could be doing much of anything. We'd be growing our own food, hunting for our own meat, building our own homes, and living like they did 10,000, 15,000 years ago. We're very lucky that other people are doing the things they do. Appreciate them. Respect them. Don't look down on someone because they make less money or have less education. I've met a lot of morons with degrees, big degrees, multiple PhDs. They're idiots. They have no idea what they're doing or what they're saying, but they've got book knowledge. They take tests well, they write papers well, and that's as far as it goes. They have no understanding of reality and what it means. And I've met people with very little education that are making incredible differences in everyone's life. Don't knock anyone for what they do. Be grateful that they do it so you don't have to. And when you live like that with with compassion, and with appreciation and realize that the human race is a singularity. We're a cell in a human, the human race is an organism and we're a cell in that organism. And we're only as good as the weakest member and only as strong as the stronger members. And when you look at it that way, you stop thinking of how great you are and how special you are and be grateful for what you have and use it to make a better world. That's the, that's the way you should live. Did I mention and Howard for president? Earlier, um, <laughs> I, I think I'm, I'm I'm much happier doing what I'm doing. You're doing such a great job at it. Spend so- the rest of my life having someone follow me with a gun so I don't get killed going to a restaurant. I I don't want it. It's not for me. I like what I do. I help people. I help kids get good grades. At a 19 year old passed the bar in California. An 11 year old C student was a professor. 22. Uh, one did college in six months. Another one had his 
uh, bachelor's at 16 with a 4.0, economics, masters in math at 19397, uh, Yale professor. Uh, yeah. These things to me excite me. A special ed girl, third grade reading in ninth grade. When we got done, she had a master's degree at 22, and she was in special ed. That's what I do. Yeah, I trained the Royal Thai Army, the U.S. Special Forces, and uh, Fort Bragg, the Canadian Forces. I work. I'm working with a hundred million dollar company now to make it a billion dollar company. I'm showing them how to grow their business. I do work one on one with companies, and um, I like it. I, I because I had so much aggravation and pain. I like the fact that I can take other people's pain and make it go away. And it makes me feel like I've accomplished something. I'm not just here for me. I'm, I'm making a difference. And to me, that's everything. Remember, I was a yogi. I believe in karma and dharma. And uh, we have responsibility to use our gifts, not just for, I mean, yeah, you want to make money. You got to pay bills. If you can't pay your own bills, how are you going to help anyone else? Of course. But there's more to it than money. The world isn't going to make it unless we change the path we're on. You could see that. And Intelligent people could see where we're headed. It's not a good thing. It's a very dark path we're on. We're almost our own cancer. We're killing the host. We're killing ourselves. Killing and, the planet. And, yeah. It's just, and that's, and that's the problem. And I never understood why there's so much darkness in the world and so few, you know, light beings. You know what I mean? Ignorance, yeah. ignorance, fear, ignorance, intolerance. Um, you see tremendous amounts of that in our own country right now. Yeah, uh, a lot of it, and I, I I try to throw positive energy on it because there's a large group of people here who are very confused, and they think they think they're doing the right thing, but they I don't believe anyone who stormed the Capitol was a bad person. I think they were making a tragic judgment call. Yeah. Any one of those people on a normal day by themselves would not have done that. Not one of them. But there's a group psychology and a group. That's why gangs are so dangerous. Maybe one-on-one, -on -one, none of those kids would hurt you. But when there's 20 or 30 of them, they get crazy. People do crazy things in groups. There's a, there's a collective consciousness. If you could actually see the thought form, we create thoughts. And then thoughts take over. What you saw was a thought taking control over a mob. Yeah. They all believed the thought, and they were following that belief and that thought to an action. That's, that's the danger. That's, what, that's why consciousness is so important. You begin to see that, and you recognize you've got to stop responding to other people's thoughts. Be aware of them. Register them. But don't be controlled by other people's thinking. When you get in that emotional state, and you saw that was an emotional state, you become irrational and you do things you'd never do in the normal world. And so I saw a lot of mostly decent people doing some horrendous things, thinking they were doing a good thing when they did it. Erroneously, but they truly believed they were doing a good thing. And that's where we're at right now. So how do you break that? by making them smarter and give them deeper understanding. I, I read conservative news in the morning. I read liberal news in the morning. I go in the middle. I want to know everybody's perspective because there's different ways of looking at the same problem. I don't get influenced by what other people tell me. 
I become aware of the facts, the ethos, and then I make my own mind up based on what I understand. I've read 30,000 books, so I see things a little differently because I have more schema yeah. than most people. But that's, that's where we're at right now as a, as a country, as a planet. And I believe what I'm doing at Berg Learning can make a difference because it'll teach people not to believe what I believe, but to believe what's right for them and, and to find the truth. Because I believe I'm Jewish, but I think Jesus got it right. The truth does set you free. Yes. It does set you free. And where does it come from? Reading and learning and associating with other positive people that want to make a better world. And I think there's more of us than them. But we're not organized. They are. Yeah. We're just not organized enough. And I'm hoping we can help make a change. Yeah, I mean, as a yogi and as an educator and somebody that that read that many books, you understand that it's all about perception. I mean, you know, Wayne Dyer said that when he gives a speech to 10,000 people, he's got 10,000 opinions of what he just said. You have your own truth that you're bringing to the table. The question is, how do we bring our own truth and still not kill each other? And that's education. And that's being that's EQ. That's literally EQ is being able to take your own truth, disagree with someone, but come together and make something better as a result and not kill each other in the process. I'm a liberal. Most of my friends are very conservative. How do I deal with it? I love them for who they are, not what they believe. Yeah. And I build my friendships on the things we agree. I'm not going to stop loving people because they have a different opinion. It's called democracy for a reason. Yeah. You're allowed to have a different opinion. And you only realize that when you go to China or when you go to other places where you don't have the freedom to, to have opinions of your own. So and that's where this, we're headed. This is a we're privilege. heading that way. Yeah. We're heading that way now in this country. That's, that's, that's going to come if we don't change the path we're on. It is, if you read history and you look at what's happened in the past, what we're experiencing now is not new. It's happened many times. Yep. And it doesn't end up well. Ever. Any society that continues in the path we're on doesn't end up well. Let me ask you, let me ask you a question. So you you obviously read many, many history books and and you have a, a good scheme on this. Do you remember everything you read? Like how what's the how much do you retain over time? Don't want to remember everything because everything isn't relevant. I want to remember everything that's relevant to me yeah. and my purpose. That's a big part of being better at learning. Know what your goal is. If you don't know what you're trying to accomplish, Zig used to say, if you want to hit a target, you have to know what you're aiming at. When you're learning, what's your goal? I'll give a good example. I did a graduate course in educational psychology in seven hours. I bought the book. It was 400 pages. I read it in seven hours four times. The AP test was six hours long. I finished in 50 minutes. I got a B plus. So why didn't you get an A? I was teaching. I needed four graduate credits and I didn't have time to go to school. I didn't care about the course. I wanted four graduate credits. My purpose was four graduate credits. It could have been finger painting. Yeah. I needed four graduate credits and I didn't have time for school. So if you could get for $65 in less than eight hours, four graduate credits with a B plus, and you needed a C minus to get the credits, you achieved your goal. My goal was not to learn the subject. It was to get four graduate credits. There's a difference between I want to master this subject or I want four graduate credits. Yeah. 
And my approach was to get the credits because that was the win. You always need to read knowing what is it you hope to accomplish when you're done. If you don't have a purpose, if you don't have a goal, and I teach people how to do that at Berg Learning, how to know what the goal should be. When other people will ask the questions, teachers or, or people at work, when you know what people expect of you, you know when you found it. And you don't waste time learning superfluous data or information no one wants or needs. And it cuts the time down dramatically because you're not reading things that have no relevancy. Yeah. That's, that's part of it. That's a big piece. I mean, it's, a, it's focus. I mean, that's part of, part of entrepreneurship is, is focus. If you focus, you, you're much more likely to succeed in life. Focus on what matters. Yeah. There's lots of things you can focus on. But if you focus on what matters, your business will grow. If you're just focusing on garbage, then your business will end up in the, in the sewer with the rest of the trash because that's what you created, garbage. Wow. So many nuggets, so many gold nuggets in this interview. Definitely, I got to be honest, and I'm going to tell you right up front, it, this is one of my favorite interviews ever. Uh, I, wanna, I have a funny question for you, and th this is really unjust, but, but I, I just have to ask. So what would happen if you, the fastest reader in the world, collaborated with John Mosquita, Mosquita, I think that's how you pronounce his name, he, Junior? He was. He's not anymore. I met the fastest speaker. I actually- So he, he lost his reign? I was in, in uh, Sydney, the uh, Optus is the phone company, and they brought me and three other Guinness record holders. The fastest speaker, he's in England. The fastest rapper, he's in Vegas. And another person was the fastest texter, she's in England. And we all went to Sydney to promote their new 5G network at the time. Yeah. And uh, they wanted me to say their 4G network was as fast as I read, and then show them I read a book in four minutes or three minutes and say, that's how fast that network is. But I actually make friends with the guy. Um, just to put it in perspective, he, re he speaks 2,500 words a minute. Wow. I read 25,000 words a minute. You can't speak at that speed. It would sound like a fax machine. Wow. I also wrote a book in five hours and went number one on Amazon the next day. So reading is input, but writing is output. They're really the same the same thing in reverse. Wow. Well, I, I'm sure, I, I wish I had so much more time to speak with you because you're one of the Do most interesting- Do it again, we'll learn right next time. Uh, yeah, I got to have you back. Uh, I have a question, uh, one final question for you. Who did you have to stop being and who did you need to become to manifest all your current success? I had to let go of my anxiety and my depression and my fear, which came about from being beaten and pushed down and, 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 and living in a, in a place of terror. I mean, I wasn't imagining it was a bad place. People were getting killed and shot and stabbed right in front of my building. So it wasn't like, you think it's bad. It was, it, and to let go of that was difficult, but I was lucky. Um, I studied the mind. I learned how it works. I studied metaphysics, and I learned that you can control your mind. You can control your consciousness. You can create a different reality by your thinking. And it's your thinking that determines who you are and what you become. And I chose to become more than I was when I was younger. The things that made me suffer as a child gave me power as an adult. Had I not suffered, I probably wouldn't have read as much. And probably never would have, I was at 3,000 words a minute when I was 11. So that never would have happened. But if you're reading six, seven books a week, every week, 
year after year after year after year. You get pretty good at it. Yeah. Why did I do it? Because I had a miserable life and it was I was escaping into the books to be safe. But looking back, as bad as it was, it gave me the opportunity to help other people and make a difference as an adult. And I'm grateful for it. As a child, I didn't understand it. As an adult, I appreciate that the things that cause our greatest pain and adversity and misery and suffering often become our greatest assets. If you make the change in your thinking and in your behavior and how you use it, it can turn everything around. And I was very lucky. I got out of a very dark place. And now my goal is to take other people into the light because I know that there's still many people in that dark place today, scared, frightened. They don't know where they're going to go. They don't know how they're going to get there. And I know how to help them do that. And I feel that's my calling. I'm trying to help everyone have a better life that will let me. They got to go to my website, berglearning.com. I'm willing to help them. We have a staff that'll help them make, you can see I'm a Rotary president. We don't just sell a program. We make sure they learn it. And when they don't do it, I do it personally. Because I want everyone to actually learn what they paid for. For a lot of reasons. One, I don't want to make a refund. But even more, I want them to learn the skill. Because we need more people in this world who can think and understand and improve it. And if I can help bring that about, each person I help makes other people's lives better. It could be synergistic. So I'm not I, idealist enough to think I could do it myself, but I'm influencing people all over the world now. I'm in every country. We have the program in 109 languages, and I know that I'm doing what I need to, and I'm following my path to what I'm supposed to be on, and I'm hoping that others will give me a chance to help them as well, because it matters to me. It's not just the money. Uh, if we don't fix what's going on, there isn't going to be a future. And I'm a grandparent, and I want my kids to have a life and their kids to have a life. And where I'm looking at now, that may not happen. It's not a sure thing it will happen anymore. It used to be. We can honestly say nobody really knows. There are yeah. biologists that say three or four gener generations will go extinct. There's 60% of all wildlife has died since 1970. Think about that, 60%. How much more can the system get unstable before it collapses on everyone and everything, including us? Yeah. It's, it's fragile. And if people would only realize that, how fragile it is, maybe that could help. That's my job. That's why I'm here. That's why I do this. We need more light beings like you, like yourself. And I think that what you do is incredible. I admire you. Um, you're definitely one of my heroes. I got to be honest, thank since you. I started doing more research on you. Uh, and thank you for, for joining me on The Seven Hats. So for, uh, for the listeners who want to get more, who want to understand how to connect with Mr. Berg and go and get uh, training, can they do it individually, personally with you? Does, do they have to take courses? They it's at do. Berg Learning, berglearning.com. Is online. They want to call me for, uh, they can go to Howard at BergLearning.com for private lessons. I'm tutoring companies and individuals. I'm starting a new program now for parents that have kids going to college. I'm charging 25000 but I'm teaching them in a very small group of 10 people. And I'm doing a 30 minute private lesson for each of them. That's why it's a small group. Yeah. I need to work with them one on one every week to make sure they're mastering this. 
so they will get good good paying jobs and finish their education and then go on to have a really successful life. You're going to spend $60,000 a year on college. So I call my things tuition insurance. They're not it. just going to go to college. They're going to master the subjects. They're going to learn it. They're going to come out prepared for any kind of job that they want. And that's what I want to do. That's, that's my passion right now. And then I do volunteer work. Like in Malawi, I gave my program to a school for free in Haiti. They're very poor. They have nothing. They can't pay me anything. They have no money. So I just do it through Rotary and help them. So I use the money I make from successful people to make them and their families more successful. And then I do lots of volunteer work with poor people to help raise them up out of poverty because they can't afford to pay anything. But you still got to pay bills and you have to be able to live. And you can't live just on love. I wish you could, but you can't. So that's how I do it. I, I help others be more successful and I pay it forward. And I'll leave everything in the show notes and the website again is? Oh, Berg Learning, like my name, B-E-R-G, berglearning.com. You can email me at howard at berglearning.com if you have questions or if you want to go on Zoom and ask me something, I'll set up a Zoom meeting with you. I'm trying my best to help people and they need to want to help themselves. That That's the only part I can't do. I can't pick up the web for them and, and, and make them go there. I can only offer it to them. But the people who don't do it probably wouldn't have been helped anyway. And the ones that do are the ones that can help because they're, they're taking action. And life is about taking action. Entrepreneurs understand that. Yeah. Nothing happens until you make it happen. It's not magic. You well, just actually, need discipline and consistency with that. Action, discipline, and consistency. And a plan. And a plan. Yeah. You have to act with intelligence. Uh, people go to Vegas with good intentions and a plan, and they commit totally, and then they're broke because they had a crappy plan. It didn't <laughs> work. So it's not just having a plan. You can have the best, the best actions, complete commitment, and go broke. And lots of entrepreneurs are doing that every day also. It isn't enough to, to believe in yourself. It isn't enough to commit to yourself. It isn't enough to take action. You actually have to know what you're doing to do the right action and get the right outcome. Otherwise, it's going to blow up in your face. You're going to say, what happened? I worked so hard. I put everything I had into this and it blew up. You didn't do it right. That's what happened. Well, I hope with episodes such as this, the seven headers are going to have a plan. Howard, thank you, thank you, thank you for gracing you. us on the seven hats. Appreciate everything that you do. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Howard. Let's end today with the segment of the show that I refer to as, what can we hang our hat on? And here's my takeaway. Making a difference in the world. Now, isn't that a noble goal? I think so. And Howard is walking that walk. For over 35 years, Howard has been led to help others learn so that they can escape the difficulties that life throws their way. We all live a difficult life. No one is exempt. But the way we choose to look at our situations ultimately determines our success. The questions you ask yourself, such as, why is this happening to me, will lead you down a spiral of despair. As Howard reminds us, we should be present and ask ourselves, what is the next best thing that we can do now? Asking that question will uncover your creativity and resourcefulness 
to achieve incredible results in your life. Howard reminds us that lifelong learners who apply their knowledge can achieve greatness. And with greatness comes responsibility, and that is to help others achieve success as well. Remember what Howard said, the cycle has to end, and it's going to end by increasing people's intelligence and understanding as they learn the wisdom of love and the love of wisdom. I want to thank Howard once again for joining me so that we can all benefit from his wisdom of love and love of wisdom. And until next time, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you received from it so that we can attract even more high-quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat to you.